Hey, welcome back. Let's hear what uh, Midas Touch has to say. You know, Giuliani got slammed with a $149 million judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, 8 a.m. Former top DOJ prosecutor says diaper on is screwed, reveals Ald Cohen. Uh, we already heard that. Rudy, Diaper Don and MAGA finally facing crushing consequences. Uh, fed up, Democrat exposes MAGA Republicans to their faces after train wreck impeachment. Now let's talk about Trump's crimes. Yeah. As McGovern, you know, Jim McGovern. I've only been buying things that actually make life easier. And when it comes to traveling, this is it. So it's a this has been, I think, the most transparent uh, political or uh, 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 congressional nice. investigation since, since I've been in Congress political for seven years. Political investigation. Uh, I should remind the general that Hunter Biden was here today. He wants to testify in public. Mm -hmm. But Republicans said no because they want to do it behind closed doors so they can go on Fox News and cherry pick facts and figures and, and distort the truth. Exactly. Try to blackmail a foreign head of state to dig yeah. up political dirt on Joe Biden. Donald yeah. Trump has been indicted more times than he's been elected. Donald Trump's <laughs> kids stole money from a cancer charity. Donald Trump's son-in-law took $2 billion from the Saudi government <laughs> in a deal so shady that it would make even Richard Nixon blush. <laughs> We're here because Donald Trump you, no, demanded that you be here today. Dozens and dozens of Republicans even Fox My new host, favorite Democrat have bluntly admitted that there's no evidence to support impeaching President Biden. Well, Republicans are saying the quiet part out loud concerning the real reason for their ongoing sham impeachment. And then, of course, there's there's you know this this other issue um, of whether Joe Biden was involved in his in his son's business dealings that I think the American people are looking at as well. So I think all that together is why you see the numbers where they're at. There are few people better at highlighting said sham impeachment than Massachusetts Representative Jim McGovern. And he had time for several subjects today. Everything from their relentless need to appease their cult leader, now selling baseball cards, by the way, fitted with fabric from his mugshot suit. My last two Trump digital trading card collections sold out in just hours. And now I'm back with my latest series called the Mugshot Edition. Purchase 47 digital cards and we'll mail you a beautiful trading card. It is an authentic piece of the suit I wore when I took that now famous mugshot. And it was a great suit, believe me, a really good suit. To how Republicans always seem to blame Democrats for their own malpractice. But starting with the whole Trump says jump, Cuomo says, yes, sir, as high as my voice. I know Ben would have liked that. Joe Biden knew, he knew about the, uh, about the car payment. <laughs> McGovern spent a few minutes today outlining how it all leads back to Trump. Donald Trump says jump, the MAGA extremists say how high. Donald Trump asked them to impeach Joe Biden. And here we are. They broke the law trying to stop Joe Biden from becoming president. They broke the law trying to violently overturn the election to prevent Joe Biden from taking office. And now they are waging this extreme political stunt by abusing and weaponizing political the impeachment process. They tried to overturn the election on January 6th, and now they want to finish the job. And today, Democrats on the Rules Committee will make a simple case to the American people. First, that Joe Biden is a man of decency and integrity who respects the law, and this impeachment charade is an extreme political stunt designed to help Donald Trump win. Second, that every absurd Republican allegation against Joe Biden has been debunked.
third, that despite this fraudulent process, Republicans have received extraordinary cooperation from the White House. And fourth, that Republicans are doing this because they are focused on the wrong priorities and want to distract from their total failure to get anything done. And from their and when crimes this is all in the over, January 6th insurrection. I am confident that the American people will overwhelmingly agree that this whole impeachment stunt is a national disgrace, designed to distract from their own incompetence and to help Donald Trump, a twice impeached ex-president who's been indicted more times that he's been elected. Oh, and as Republicans often do when their backs are against the wall, they try to deflect, blaming Democrats for their own inability to unify over the simplest of things like choosing a speaker. Um, the House spent 26 days electing two speakers. <laughs> I don't dispute we spent that much time, but we were thrown into that situation not by Republicans, but by eight Republicans and 208 Democrats that voted to vacate the chair. So the fact that we had to spend extra time dealing with our own speaker election, we wouldn't have had to do that were it not for 208 Democrats voting with eight Republicans to make that happen. Please don't blame Republican dysfunction on Democrats. Uh, it's not our fault it took 15 votes to elect your first speaker. It's not our fault that uh, it took two weeks after uh, your first speaker was ousted to find another speaker. I mean, the idea that we should vote for uh, uh, a, a Republican speaker of the House who, who doesn't share our values. You know, we voted for Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, we voted our values, but that it's our fault. You changed the rules to make it possible uh, for, for, for any member on your side to oust You did that. Uh, so you changed the rules to make this So um, this is where we are. We take it that uh, the Republicans, if they can get their votes together, are planning to vote to conduct an impeachment inquiry today. You know, the, the mysteries are called a whodunit because it starts with a crime and then you try to determine who committed it. This is more like a what is it, not a who done it. We don't know what the crime is. The Fox News even buy it. No, not anymore. And I think the smoking gun that people missed on Monday was Chairman Comer releasing that there's a monthly stipend from one of these shell companies of hunters going to Joe Biden, connecting the dots. He was gonna, he's paying him back for a truck. I'm just telling you what he said. The House Oversight Committee has been at this for years, and they have so far not been able to provide any concrete evidence that Joe Biden personally profited from his son Hunter's overseas business, but they are going to try again with this impeachment inquiry that's set to start next week. Still, Peter, thanks very much indeed. See you again soon. Okay, but surely there's a chance if Newsmax buy into it. He's, mm -hmm. he's making your investigation sound like a joke, 
and he's trying to make you look like a joke. Nope, lost them too. Boy, I I'm just wondering political implications. So now we're we're on the clock here. We're less than 11 months from election day. Um, it's going to be a close election. Despite what the polls say, it doesn't even matter who the Republican nominee is. This is going to be a very close election, uh, November 5th, 2024. Uh, what does this mean for Biden? Let's say the House decides in February, March, early 24 to move forward with impeaching him in the House. It's dead on arrival in the Senate. We know that. Democrats control the Senate, so it's an exercise in futility anyway. I get that uh, Democrats did it to Trump twice, all right? And, and I think they had a lot less both times, clearly. The second time, he wasn't even president. He was out of office. But I'm thinking about Bill Clinton, 1996. This only made him stronger. I'm thinking about Donald Trump, first impeachment. His, his approval ratings went to their highest levels uh, during his four years in office. Could this actually have the opposite effect, Rick, and make Joe Biden stronger heading into election? Yes, this is just how far Republicans have fallen. They are struggling to rally confidence from a network that literally has their hosts yell at veterans if they dare question the cult leader. Because he knew this would happen. In fact, we all did. I called it on this program. My 12-year-old son knew about it, and so... Uh, I've got Americans there that are stuck. To me, that's a hostage situation. But, Joe, I appreciate yeah. you working to get them out. I really do. Yeah. And I wish you we all do, luck in the we world. Do respect, Thank uh, you for we're, yeah, we do respect, Rand. I mean, like, veterans, you know, uh, being one, right? And our friends are over there. Um, right. We follow this closely from multiple administrations. And we know the Trump's administration's efforts here were fairly weak. Yeah. that they were trying to limit the number of people that would get out. And Joe, so there was coordination problems. Joe, I'm going to cut time. you. I, I'm, already, I'm already weak. I'm already low on time, Joe. Joe, I'm just cut him off, please. Cut him off now. Cut him off now. You're not going to blame this on President Trump on my show. That's how pathetic this whole thing has become. Um, they've continued to, to update, not, not just Chairman Comer, but uh, Chairman Jordan, Chairman Smith have been on TV, they've been on print. You can't turn on a news program without seeing one of those three update the American people on this. So to say that, that we somehow lack transparency is laughable, especially uh, over the course of this year-long fishing expedition, because this is not beginning today. We've been doing this for over a year. House um, uh, Republicans have poured over tens of thousands of pages of documents and financial rec records provided by the administration, have interviewed witnesses for dozens and dozens of hours, yet uh, nothing, nothing they have revealed has supported their wild conspiracy theories uh, and debunked uh, the, the uh, allegations. Nevertheless, here we, here we are. But I think it's important uh, to uh, to point out that uh, that this is a waste of time. I'm going to give you the words of, of Republicans. Don't take my word for it. Speaker Mike Johnson reportedly told his own colleagues, quote, that there is insufficient evidence to initiate formal impeachment proceedings. Rep. Mike McCall admitted, we don't have the evidence. That's his quote. Ken Buck, our colleague, the evidence for impeachment doesn't exist right now. He also said, I haven't seen any evidence linking Hunter Biden's activities to Joe Biden. It's clear to me why Republicans are going after Joe Biden and trying to drag his name through the mud. They want, to, they want to help normalize Donald Trump's corruption and criminality. There's no comparison, none whatsoever, between the decency, civility, and public service of Joe Biden and the criminality, corruption, and abuse of power of Donald Trump. Thanks so much for watching. We're only a few subscribers short of 2 million subs. Please subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel for free and help us grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network.
struggling with prostate swelling, astronauts use an unusual trick for peeing in zero gravity that's surprisingly effective for this very problem. The pee in zero gravity method helps reduce swollen prostate symptoms without medication or surgery. Startling discovery by Harvard Get out there. Pretty cool. That was great. That was great. Let's see what people are saying in the comments. Come over is a disgrace. Come over. And there are so many disgraces in the house. Hold them accountable for the love of democracy. If I were a man or a woman in Congress, I would let my actions speak for me towards MAGAs. Jordan says the American people know we are not interested in Hunter. He's been through enough because of you. Let it go. Party personal responsibility, always blaming everyone else. Yeah. Next year, I'm changing my election strategy to vote as a Republican in the primaries so I can vote against Trump, MAGA. In the general election, I will return to my usual voting Democrat down the entire ballot. This way, I can say I did all I possibly could to shut MAGA down. Hey, that's a great idea. I did that. I'm doing that as well, LMAO. You're doing God's work. Hey, that's a good that, that's a great idea. <laughs> MAGA and then the vomiting emoji, three of them. I love waiting I've been waiting for them to finally have the guts to bring up the Grifter family and the two billion dollars from the Saudis, the millions from China for the creepy daughter, etc. Yay. Got to love the Freudian slips. Comer is the almost comer, comer. Is he almost as prone to projection as Trump, almost. I'm tired of Republicans speaking for Americans. They don't speak for me and millions of other Americans. I love everybody in this comment section. I laughing so hard watching and hearing Ben say he knew like presidents that don't sell scraps of their clothing on the internet <laughs> still blows my mind how anyone can't see what these maroons are doing to them in their country Maybe they changed spelling because I think it's flagged it is on TikTok some Trump humper will report it as hate speech. In my experience. So, let's go back. GOP leader accidentally makes fatal admission when attacking judge.
Michael Popak, Legal AF, Elise Stefanik said the quiet part out loud about huh. Donald Trump and fascism. She's just <laughs> filed a new judicial complaint. She's at it again, going after federal judges, in this case, the former chief judge of the federal District of Columbia Court, Beryl Howell, because she doesn't like what Beryl Howell said two weeks ago at a gala in which she was an honoree related to women defense lawyers, women uh, criminal defense lawyers, and she didn't like that. Now, I reported on that particular speech, which was a powerful indictment of where this country is as it teeters on the brink of fascism and authoritarianism. She never mentioned, Judge uh, Howell never mentioned Donald Trump by now, by name, but we know her words were powerful. Let me play you a clip first so you can get caught up on the speech, and then I'll turn on this hot take to what Elise Stefanik has done about that speech in attacking the ethics, integrity, and credibility of one of the finest judges in the D.C. Uh, court. Let's play my clip of the hot take to catch you up. We'll come back and talk about it next. Judge Beryl Howell has a stark warning for America in a rare public appearance. She said that big lies, such as those perpetrated by Donald Trump and his followers, are springboards for authoritarians. And she is warning America that those that attacked democracy still lurk and the threat against democracy still exists. It's one thing for political commentators, legal commentators to, si to, to sound the clarion call. It's another when the former chief judge, who was the chief judge of the D.C. bench from 2016 all the way through March of 2023, who handled all of the subpoenas and search warrants at the grand jury level involving the Jan 6 insurrectionist and the Department of Justice, and then Jack Smith's search for the truth and to go after Donald Trump when she comes out and says it and, and with fellow honorees at a gala, a gala for the uh, women's white-collar defense bar, you got to listen. You got to listen to big lies that she observed being the springboard for authoritarians and that is what she is worried about. She went on to say during this speech, and off on the same dais with her, was Lisa Monaco, the deputy attorney general, the number two under Merrick Garland, who was also receiving an award. And I'm sure these words resonated with her as her department continues to seek the truth and administer justice in this country through our system. She said, Judge Beryl Howell said again at the same gala this week, we are having a very surprising and downright troubling moment in this country when the very importance of facts is dismissed or ignored. That's a very risky business for all of us in our democracy. The facts matter. Okay, so that was a report that I did two weeks ago I, you know, I wasn't anticipating that Elise Stefanik was going to get around to filing a judicial complaint against that particular judge. But just to set the stage here, you've got Lisa Monaco, who's the deputy attorney general of the United States. She's the number two under Merrick Garland. She's there as well. There's other people. And look, I've been to these galas before for judges. You know, they say amazing things about the honoree and the judge in introduction. The judge takes the podium. They're allowed to do this while they're still um, uh, on the bench. They normally get clearance, uh, ethics clearance, and guidance from an uh, ethicist that works for the court. I'm sure she did. 
uh, about what the event was about. Um, federal judges often appear at these events. Supreme Court justices often appear at these events. Supreme Court justices often give speeches and make remarks, including overseas, like Sam Alito, in which he talked about, you know, for instance, overturning Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision. It happens. Uh, it is appropriate as long as it doesn't cross the line. The line that Elise Stefanik is claiming in her uh, in, indictment of her bar complaint, her judicial complaint against the judge, is that she has violated a particular rule of judicial conduct. But when you hear the rule, you'll know automatically that that didn't happen. She says that under the rule, a sitting judge, is, is uh, which is canon 2B, not sort of like 2B or not 2B, 2B, of the judicial canons says, quote, a judge should neither lend the prestige of the judicial office to advance the private interest of the judge or others, nor convey or permit others to convey the impression that they are in a special position to influence the judge. What she didn't like, Stefanik, is that there was a lot of laudatory comments on the way in. Beryl Howell steered the court through a very trying period, trying to process all of the Jan 6th cases and to handle the grand jury proceedings and she did it with her normal flinty steely high integrity you know high character and here she is her speech i mean i mean that's it i mean well what did elise stefanik want her to say i don't know this person uh, just wandered in with a black robe I, could be beryl howell i'm not sure we're gonna give her you know some sort of plaque or trophy i don't know here she is is that the introduction I mean, come on, you're allowed to read from the person's resume. You're, now, you're, you're allowed to be tethered to reality and introduce the person on the body of work that they've already performed, Ms. Stefanik, Congresswoman Stefanik, the Honorable Congresswoman Stefanik. And by the way, when you uh, address a judge, because she wrote the letter that she has to, to the judge uh, on the Court of Appeals, which is the boss, D.C. Court of Appeals, the boss for Farrell Howe and all the other judges, and the chief judge there is somebody that's on Biden's shortlist for the Supreme Court, which is uh, uh, Sri uh, Srivanasan. And she wrote, Dear Chief uh, Judge Sri Srinivasan, uh, it's your honor. You, you write your honor. Judges are not dears. <laughs> okay. I learned that first year out of law school, at least. It's your honor, and then respectfully submitted. And so, so she went off. It was just really a prep. We'll put up a, a picture of, of the letter. It was really just a PR stunt by Elise Stefanik because she doesn't like who was in the audience and who was on the dais. And she's trying to argue that because they were they were fawningly so nice to the judge and, her, and being honored that they're giving the impression that she is that they're currying favor with her or there's some sort of special relationship. The problem is. That Beryl Howell didn't like get up and start like patting them on the back. Oh, my close. It would be different if she got up and said, my close friend, Lisa Monaco, she and I travel together. She and I and our our, our uh, families are close. And uh, I was at her baptism or, you know, something like that. But she just got up and gave her speech after being introduced. So there's no way on God's green earth under judicial canon to be an introduction of a, a judge or her participation in the women of all partisan ilk women criminal defense bar gala okay is is just a bunch of democrats backslapping in smoke-filled rooms they're celebrating their close relationship with the chief judge or the then chief judge i mean anybody that attended that would understand it what elise stefanik doesn't like is that the judge expressed an opinion about this country 
uh, teetering on the brink of totalitarianism and authoritarianism, where facts don't matter, as you heard in my clip. That was the gist of the speech. There's not even a video or audio of the speech for me to play for you, so I have to give you the reporting for those that were in the room. But that's okay. Judges do it all the time. Supreme Court just, justices do it all the time. And there's no limits on that as long as they're not commenting on a case that's before them. A future case that's before them, who knows? And she's, she, she's not the current chief judge. She's not currently supervising the grand juries in the District of Columbia against Donald Trump. That has fallen to the new, the new uh, chief judge, um, Jeb Boesberg. And she's just one of many judges. Now, you might be thinking, Beryl Howell, she sounds familiar. Yes, she's the judge that's also presiding over the Rudy Giuliani defamation case that we're about to get a jury verdict on. I'm sure it's going to be. 30, 40, 50 million plus or higher in favor of the, the terribly defamed and doxxed and injured and damaged Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, mother-daughter team out of Georgia, the former election workers who were accused of voter fraud. Uh, and then the Trump MAGA went after them, uh, you know, with zeal uh, and relentlessly and turned their lives upside down. Same judge. She's the same judge that found Rudy Giuliani um, had defaulted and found that what his statements statements made were defamatory and therefore as a sanction, and she sanctioned him six times for mis misconduct um, and, and with more to come, including the jury instructions. Uh, that's the Beryl Howell that we're talking about. That's the flinty, steely, professional, ro uh, rock-solid judge that was being complimented on the way into giving her speech. Um, I got news for Lee Stefanik. Judges operate in the real world. Judges have eyes and ears and can observe, and they're allowed to make a statement about where they think this country is, because if they don't do it, who's going to do it? That clarion call has to be signaled by somebody, because everybody on the MAGA side thinks everything's just fine with Donald Trump saying he's going to be a dictator on day one. He's going to dump all the lawyers in the Department of Justice. He's going to hollow out all of the guardrails of democracy and replace them with sycophants that owe uh, to, you know, that bootlick for him uh, to make sure he can accomplish everything that he wants to accomplish if we ever have the restoration of the Trump presidency. So we'll continue to follow what I'm sure is going to be a non-story. I mean, the chief judge is going to have to take it seriously. He'll have to open up an investigation. He'll have to put an investigator on it, um, and they will get a copy of the tape or the transcript if one exists or a video. I'm sure the organization has a video of this and they will review it and they'll compare and contrast it to the rules and the guidance around the rules. I'm sure they will learn that by insurrectionist Republicans who should be behind bars, not in Congress, exclamation point. The judge, prior to taking the speaking engagement or being honored, uh, ran it by the ethics office and got a clearance on it. They may have even checked her speech notes and gave her clearance on that because there's nothing that violates any of the judicial canons there at all. And the fact that there were other people in the room that might have been Democrats. That's 
and that they were nice to her while she was being feted. Uh, this doesn't, you know, as, as one judge once said to an adversary of mine after they breathlessly came in with some amazing piece of evidence that they thought was going to be case dispositive and rock our world, the judge waited patiently and said, tell me this is not your entire case. Tell me you have other evidence to support your position. It's going to sort of be like that. Tell me you have more. That's it. The speech, the introduction, the fact that there were people on the dais that knew her. Move on. If I were if I were the judge, I would file a bar complaint against. I'm not sure if Stefanik is a lawyer. I thought she was. I'd file a bar complaint against Lee Stefanik if she's if she's a, if she's a lawyer for making improper accusations against a sitting judge. But we'll we'll follow that on the Midas Touch Network. It's the only place we do this at the intersection of law, politics, and justice. You like lawyers talking about things they know what they're talking about? Come here. Legal AF. For sure. Full. What was the fatal admission? I don't know. Here she is. Is that the introduction? I mean, come on. You're allowed to. That Elise Stefanik was going to get around to filing a judicial complaint against that particular judge. But just to set the stage here, you've got Lisa Monaco, who's the deputy attorney general of the United States. She's the number two under Merrick Garland. She's there as well. There's other people. And look, I've been to these galas before for judges. You know, they say amazing of the hot take to catch you up. We'll come back and talk about it next. Elise Stefanik's at the quiet part out loud about Donald Trump and fascism. She's just filed a new judicial complaint. She's at it again, going after federal judges, in this case, the former chief judge of the Federal District of Columbia Court, Beryl Howell, because she doesn't like what Beryl Howell said two weeks ago at a gala in which she was an honoree related to women defense lawyers, women uh, criminal defense lawyers. And she didn't like that. Now, I reported on that particular speech which was a powerful indictment of where this country is as it teeters on the brink of fascism and authoritarianism. She never mentioned, Judge Howell never mentioned Donald Trump by now by name, but we know her words were powerful. Let me play you a clip first so you can get caught up on the speech, and then I'll turn on this hot take to what Elise Stefanik has done about that speech in attacking the ethics, integrity, and credibility of one of the finest judges on the D.C. Uh, court. Let's play my clip of the hot take to catch you up, and we'll come back and talk about it next. Judge. This is the number one gift to this holiday season. The all-new Blendjet 2 portable... Play my clip of the hot take to catch you up, and we'll come back and talk about it next. Judge Beryl Howell has a stark warning for America in a rare public appearance. She said that big lies, such as those perpetrated by Donald Trump and his followers, are springboards for authoritarians. And she is warning America that those that attacked democracy still lurk and the threat against democracy still exists. It's one thing for political commentators, legal commentators to, si to, to sound the clarion call. It's another when the former chief judge who was the chief judge of the D.C. bench from 2016 all the way through March of 2023, who handled all of the subpoenas and search warrants at the grand jury level involving the Jan 6 insurrectionist and the Department of Justice, and then Jack Smith's search for the truth and to go after Donald Trump. When she comes out and says it and, and with fellow honorees at a gala, a gala for the uh, women's white-collar defense bar, you got to listen. 
you got to listen to big lies that she observed being the springboard for authoritarians, and that is what she is worried about. She went on to say during this speech, and off on the same dais with her, was Lisa Monaco, the deputy attorney general, the number two under Merrick Garland, who was also receiving an award. And I'm sure these words resonated with her as her department continues to seek the truth and administer justice in this country through our system. She said, Judge Beryl Howell said again at the same gala this week, we are having a very surprising and downright troubling moment in this country when the very importance of facts is dismissed or ignored. That's a very risky business for all of us in our democracy. The facts matter. Okay, so that was a report that I did two weeks ago. I, you know, I wasn't anticipating that Elise Stefanik was going to get around to filing a judicial complaint against that particular judge. But just to set the stage here, you've got Lisa Monaco, who's the deputy attorney general of the United States. She's the number two under Merrick Garland. She's there as well. There's other people. And look, I've been to these galas before for judges. You know, they say amazing things about the honoree and the judge and introduction. The judge takes the podium. They're allowed to do this while they're still um, uh, on the bench. They normally get clearance, uh, ethics clearance and guidance from an ethicist that works for the court. I'm sure she did uh, about what the event was about. Um, federal judges often appear at these events. Supreme Court justices often appear at these events. Supreme Court justices often give speeches and make remarks, including overseas, like Sam Alito, in which he talked about, you know, for instance, overturning Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision. It happens. Uh, it is appropriate as long as it doesn't cross the line. The line that Elise Stefanik is claiming in her uh, in, indictment of her bar complaint, her judicial complaint against the judge, is that she has violated a particular rule of judicial conduct. But when you hear the rule, you'll know automatically that that didn't happen. She says that under the rule, a sitting judge, is, is, uh, which is canon 2B, that sort of like to be or not to be, to be of the judicial canons says, quote, a judge should neither lend the prestige of the judicial office to advance the private interest of the judge or others, nor convey or permit others to convey the impression that they are in a special position to influence the judge. What she didn't like, Stefanik, is that there was a lot of laudatory comments on the way in. Beryl Howell steered the court through a very trying period and trying to process all of the Jan 6th cases and to handle the grand jury proceedings. And she did it with her normal, flinty, steely, high integrity, you know, high character. And here she is for her speech. I mean, I mean that's it. I mean, well, what did Elise Stefanik want her to say? I don't know. This person uh, just wandered in with a black robe. It could be Beryl Howell. I'm not sure. We're going to give her, you know, some sort of plaque or trophy. I don't know. Here she is. Is that the introduction? I mean, come on. You're allowed to read from the person's resume. You're now you're you're allowed to be tethered to reality and introduce the person on the body of work that they've already performed. Miss Stefanik, Congresswoman Stefanik, the Honorable Congresswoman Stefanik. And by the way, when you uh, address a judge, because she wrote the letter that she has to to the judge uh, on the Court of Appeals, which is the boss 
D.C. Court of Appeals, the boss for Beryl Howell and all the other judges, and the chief judge there is somebody that's on Biden's shortlist for the Supreme Court, which is uh, uh, Sri uh, Srivanasan. And she wrote, Dear Chief uh, Judge Sri Srinivasan, it's your honor. You, you write your honor. Judges are not dears. <laughs> okay. I learned that first year out of law school, police. It's your honor, and then respectfully submitted. And so, so she went off. It was just really a prep. We'll put up a, a picture of, of the letter. It was really just a PR stunt by Elise Stefanik because she doesn't like who was in the audience and who was on the dais. And she's trying to argue that because they were they were fawningly so nice to the judge and, her, and being honored that they're giving the impression that she is that they're currying favor with her or there's some sort of special relationship. The problem is. That Beryl Howell didn't like get up and start like patting them on the back. Oh, my close. It would be different if she got up and said, my close friend, Lisa Monaco, she and I travel together. She and I and our our, our uh, families are close. And uh, I was at her baptism or, you know, something like that. But she just got up and gave her speech after being introduced. So there's no way on God's green earth under judicial canon 2B an introduction of a, a judge or her participation in the women of all partisan ilk, women criminal defense bar gala, okay, is is just a bunch of Democrats backslapping in smoke-filled rooms. They're celebrating their close relationship with the chief judge or the then chief judge. I mean, anybody that attended that would understand it. What Elise Stefanik doesn't like is that the judge expressed an opinion about this country uh, teetering on the brink of totalitarianism and authoritarianism where facts don't matter, as you heard in my clip. That was the gist of the speech. There's not even a video or audio of the speech for me to play for you, so I have to give you the reporting for those that were in the room. But that's okay. Judges do it all the time. Supreme Court just justices do it all the time. And there's no limits on that as long as they're not commenting on a case that's before them. A future case that's before them? Who knows? And she's, she's, she's not the current chief judge. She's not currently supervising the grand juries in the District of Columbia against Donald Trump. That has fallen to the new, the new uh, chief judge, um, Jeb Boesberg. And she's just one of many judges. Now, you might be thinking, Beryl Howell, she sounds familiar. Yes, she's the judge that's also presiding over the Rudy Giuliani defamation case we're about to get a jury verdict on. I'm sure it's going to be. 30, 40, 50 million plus or higher in favor of the, the terribly defamed and doxxed and injured and damaged Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, mother-daughter team out of Georgia, former election workers who were accused of voter fraud. Uh, and then the Trump MAGA went after them, uh, you know, with zeal uh, and relentlessly and turned their lives upside down. Same judge. She's the same judge that found Rudy Giuliani um, had defaulted and found that what his statements statements made were defamatory and therefore as a sanction, and she sanctioned him six times for mis misconduct um, and, and with more to come, including the jury instructions. Uh, that's the Beryl Howell that we're talking about. That's the flinty, steely, professional, rock-solid judge that was being complimented on the way into giving her speech. Um, I got news for Lee Stefanik. Judges operate in the real world. Judges have eyes and ears and can observe, and they're allowed to make a statement about where they think this country is, because if they don't do it, who's going to do it? That clarion call has to be signaled by somebody, because everybody on the MAGA side 
thinks everything's just fine with Donald Trump saying he's going to be a dictator on day one. He's going to dump all the lawyers in the Department of Justice. He's going to hollow out all of the guardrails of democracy and replace them with sycophants that owe uh, to the, you know that bootlick for him uh, to make sure he can accomplish everything that he wants to accomplish if we ever have the restoration of the Trump presidency. So we'll continue to follow what I'm sure is going to be a non-story. I mean, the chief judge is going to have to take it seriously. He'll have to open up an investigation. He'll have to put an investigator on it, um, and they will get a copy of the tape or the transcript if one exists or a video. I'm sure the organization has a video of this and they will review it and they'll compare and contrast it to the rules and the guidance around the rules. I'm sure they will learn that the, the judge prior to taking the speaking engagement or being honored uh, uh, ran it by the ethics office and got a clearance on it. They may have even checked her speech notes and gave her clearance on that because there's nothing that violates any of the judicial canons there at all. And the fact that there were other people in the room that might have been Democrats and that they were nice to her while she was being feted, uh, this doesn't, you know, as, as one judge once said to an adversary of mine after they breathlessly came in with some amazing piece of evidence that they thought was going to be case dispositive and rock our world, the judge waited patiently and said, tell me this is not your entire case. Tell me you have other evidence to support your position. It's going to sort of be like that. Tell me you have more. That's it. The speech, the introduction, the fact that there were people on the dais that knew her. Move on. If I were if I were the judge, I would file a bar complaint against. I'm not sure if Stefanik is a lawyer. I thought she was. I'd file a bar complaint against Lee Stefanik if she's if she's a if she's a lawyer for making improper accusations against a sitting judge. But we'll we'll follow that on the Midas Touch Network. It's the only place we do this at the intersection of law, politics, and justice. You like lawyers talking about things they know what they're talking about? Come here. Sure. Hmm. Federal judge ponders extreme punishment for Ruby, Rudy and Big Lies. Well, we already know that he got slammed with $149 million <laughs> judgment. Uh, let's see. This was streamed one day ago. Diaper Don feels the heat as Jack Smith smothers him. Legal AF. Folks, if we're going to win re-election, Folks, if we're going to win, I need you to buy my type from the very start. Whatever you're able to chip in. Whatever you're able to chip in. I say we'll have, 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 have a huge impact on my campaign. This will be the hardest fight yet. Would you stand make a donation and stand with Camel on me? Thank you. Pretty low energy. <laughs> but that's what the Democrats are putting all their Wonderland eggs in one basket for. Gourmet goodies and holidays. Mother, when those you are, old. are Trump, and you have to you cite at any in your legal brief you need a plan B. that imaginary case of Grinch v. Christmas as grounds to stop the D.C. Court of Appeals from putting your own appeal have the D.C. election interference case dismissed on a fast track? We've entered the world of the unserious. Just hours, record time, after, after that Trump filing, and I'm not making it up, the D.C. Court of Appeals granted special prosecutors' request to expedite the appeal, keep the March trial on schedule so that the American people know whether they are voting for a convicted criminal or not. All while the U.S. Supreme Court is also interested in deciding whether they should take 
correct appellate jurisdiction and decide whether Trump can dismiss his D.C. prosecution on immunity grounds. Speaking of immunity, the Second Circuit, the top appellate court in New York, ruled today that Trump waived his presidential immunity, whatever that is, and his defense to the E. Jean Carroll defamation and sexual battery case because he waited, well, Alina Haba waited, three years to raise the issue in one of his filings. Trump is apparently so busy preparing to write his Christmas legal briefs to try to stop the March trials since the D.C. appeals court put a big lump of coal in his stocking. They couldn't bother to show up and testify in his own defense in the New York civil fraud case, even though Judge Angoran will decide how much of Trump's business empire and assets he will be allowed to keep. The civil fraud case has come to an end as the judge was evacuated from the courthouse based on death threats, no doubt, by Trump's MAGA supporters. This show goes dark for a month, and then we pick up with closing arguments and a rule and a ruling in January. Now the S show that is Rudy Giuliani. We are just three days into his trial to decide just how big a check a D.C. jury will write to compensate mother-daughter former election workers Jay Moss and Ruby Freeman for defamation, assassination threats, and personal attacks they've suffered because of Rudy Giuliani's lies against them about committing voter fraud. And Giuliani has already been told by the federal judge that he risks a mistrial and perjury charges as Ruby and Shay look the jury and Rudy straight in the eye and tell their heartbreaking, authentic story of pain and suffering at the hands of Rudy and his henchmen. We discuss the likelihood that the jury will award more than the $50 million requested by their lawyers. All this and so much more on the collision corner of law, politics, and justice, only on the midweek edition of Legal AF, on exclusively Midas Touch Network with your co-anchors, Aaron Friedman at Diffalo and Michael Popak. Aaron, it's the holiday season, and the appellate courts are holding up their end of the bargain with their rulings against Trump. Forget it all. Forget all that. How are you? How's the family? Let's start it off right. Oh, hello, Popak. I'm great. Everything is good here. The family's great. Everything is really, really good. I have to say, though, tonight's going to be a tricky one for me because there's so much going on. I'm actually finding it hard to keep it straight. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully we can break it down for people so that they can understand it, because there are so many cases mm -hmm. going on that are asserting presidential immunity in different levels, right? We've got civil cases, criminal cases, appellate cases, the Supreme Court, You're, you've got requests to go fast, requests not to, to slow it down. You know, it's just, it's so hard to keep track of and hopefully we can simplify it so that everybody can understand what's happening and keep track of it because it's important. I'm gonna check the chat. I, I, I want people to say things like, if Karen can't figure it out, there's no hope for the rest of us, <laughs> but we will figure it out and we will present it here on Legal AF. Let's kick it off. Let's talk about, uh, because it's it's on everybody's front burner, getting decisions left and right from the U.S. Supreme Court, D.C. Court of Appeals. We got a ruling just before 
we um, <laughs> just before we got on the air, um, I'm, I'll tell everybody later why I'm, why I'm laughing. We have a sidebar chat among Salty, me, and Karen while we're doing the live, and he wrote something funny, which I will share at the appropriate time. Okay, mm -hmm. now, on the, let me frame it and turn it right back over to my illustrious partner, Karen Friedman Ignifolo. We, um, we worried, there was some misreporting earlier in the week, that the computer-generated order that spit out a, a um, appellate or an appeal schedule for Donald Trump's appeal of Judge Chutkin's ruling a couple of weeks ago, finding that he had no presidential immunity or immunity to dismiss the indictment in Jack Smith's D.C. election interference case. He took that up on appeal. Okay, no surprise there. So far, so good. Everybody's following along. And we expected that appeal. We also expected that at the, at the appropriate point, Jack Smith, if the if the Court of Appeals didn't do the right thing and kind of expedited on their own, he would file some sort of paper somewhere, maybe in multiple places, to expedite the appeal, to put it on a fast track, because we got a March 4th trial date. And we know that Donald Trump is just trying to burn the time, right, burn the candle at both ends between now and March 4th to avoid the trial. He wants to push this out and kick this can so far past November that he's up for that he's uh, the voters have voted. It's exactly the opposite of what the public demands, what justice demands, which is that the voters know when they go to the polls, are they voting for a convicted criminal or one that got exonerated and acquitted? Who knows? We don't know yet. It's the beauty of our justice system. I mean, I can hazard a guess what's going to happen at a jury trial, but that's just my speculation. And so when the first order came out, like, that's my printer, printer noise, I was like, oh, crap, they're going to require the appeal not even get started until late December. It's too late. Donald Trump has won. All hope is lost. <laughs> and people on Legal AF like me, you, and Ben were like, all right, relax. There's no panel yet. The three-judge panel hasn't even been selected. They're the ones that make decisions on the briefing schedule, not the clerk, not the clerk's computer. And let's wait to see what happens. And if they don't form on their own, and I assure you, as I said on Legal AF recently, Jack Smith will file a piece of paper to make it happen. So he filed two pieces of paper, his office. One with uh, the D.C. Court of Appeals, which is the intermediary, intermediate appellate court that sits over Judge Chutkin, Judge Chutkin's bosses in the District of Columbia. And they also filed a paper with the U.S. Supreme Court, hoping that one or both of them would bite. And both of them bit. The D.C. Court of Appeals said, this is a very interesting issue now that we have three just judges in place. And what a, and I'll let you, Karen, comment on the judges. It's a great panel. Great for democracy, not terrible for Donald Trump in terms of who's been selected. And at the same time, you know, they said, this is really interesting. Let's hear from the parties as to whether there should be expedited briefing on this uh, faster than normal, normal being six, eight months to a year. Obviously, we need faster to keep the trial date. And, and tell us why, and we'll make a ruling. And then at almost the same time, on the same day, the U.S. Supreme Court said, this is very interesting. Your request to have the U.S. Supreme Court be the first court of appeal, let us decide on original jurisdiction right now without going through a lower intermediary court. It's unusual. You know, we, we get where you're going with this, special counsel. We'd like to have that briefed. So we got simultaneous briefing going on a very close calendar here, very fast track. Tell us at the U.S. Supreme Court level why we, in the nine people in black robes, why we should make this decision firsthand 
without having the benefit of a lower intermediary appellate court. And the appellate court going, we're going to, we're, we're, let's hear the briefing on the, uh, on the expedited appeal, which closed today with a final brief by Donald Trump, citing Grinch at Stole Christmas, Robert Collins, 1957, not kidding. On their brief, they wasted ink on that and said that was one of the reasons they couldn't have this case go so fast because Jack Smith was a big, big fat Grinch. And within hours, the appellate court ruled, DC Court of Appeals ruled. And I'm going to let you take it from there. What happened with the DC Court of Appeals? What's happening with the US Supreme Court next on these two parallel worlds of appeal related to whether Donald Trump is ultimately going to be able to use immunity of some sort to dismiss his indictment? Yeah, so the DC Circuit Court of Appeals granted the expedited briefing, essentially. And so everything's due in December with a, you know, the appellant's brief is due late December. Uh, the appellee's brief is due December 30th and the reply brief January 2nd. And then they'll talk about when oral arguments is. And hopefully it'll, it'll be done very, very quickly. Um, but if you, if the reason, let, let's think of this kind of, I like the way you were talking about this and how you were um, explaining what's going on and really what the stakes of this are. And I, I want to just really simplify it for people so that they understand why this is so critical. The big issue here is presidential immunity. Okay. And what he's saying is because I was president at the time and I was doing my job as president. I should be immune if I got it wrong, you know, mm -hmm. like that, that's essentially what it is. You know, if I make a mistake or whatever, I should be free when I do my job to make mm -hmm. tough decisions. And therefore I shouldn't have to worry about watching my back because I could either get sued or get prosecuted. And that that's really what he's saying. And there mm -hmm. is a presidential immunity in the civil context. And because of that, right? Because of that, if you're acting as president within your job, or within the outer boundary of what could be your job. You know, we're going to stretch those limits a little bit because we want you as president to act freely and not worry about how, whether or not someone could sue you or would sue you. And that that's a, that's what the civil presidential immunity is. But the question about is there criminal presidential immunity? And I think ultimately the Supreme Court is going to have to rule that there is Why isn't Diaper Don charged with extorting Zelensky and those 10 counts of obstruction of justice? Muller. Said uh, before the statute of limitations run. Limitations are in doubt. What about who is charging Diaper Donald with extorting Zelensky and those 10 counts of obstruction of justice that Muller wrote about? Not. It makes no sense that there would be. Otherwise, 
you know, just think of all the things one could do as a president and never have to be held accountable. Uh, it, it would it would it would fly in the face of everything this country stands for, but it's never been ruled on before. So as a result, it is something that is going to have to be ruled on. But let's just have a little academic exercise. If he is immune from prosecution criminally, then this case goes away 100 percent. If he's not, then the case proceeds. So this is truly foundational, right? Foundational. It's whether or not the case can go. And that's why he is permitted to appeal midstream while the trial's going on. He doesn't have to wait until after he's convicted or if he's convicted to appeal the way you typically do with most appellate arguments. And so what Donald Trump is doing, because this is so foundational, right? What he's doing here, and this is why this is such a critical, important juncture that we're at, he's, his long game, his chess game is don't go to trial, don't let anyone see what the evidence is, don't get convicted, get elected, right, in November, get elected, become president, and- Pardon yourself. Install my own a Department of Justice head, the Attorney General, who will dismiss the case, and pardon and myself. I'll pardon myself. Mm -hmm. Period. Full stop. It's terrifying. What is at stake here? Okay. And if this case doesn't go in March, because we're still waiting on the appellate courts to determine this foundational question, what will happen in March? March, then March 24th comes around and Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan District Attorney, his case will be on the calendar in front of Judge Juan Mershon, and they'll come to court and the prosecutor will say my three favorite words, the people are ready. And that means the people are ready for trial. And in New York, we say the people in federal court, we say the government. Um, so, so that will go to trial March 24th. And because that's going to go, and so for all the people who are like, why this case? Why, why did he bring this case? Why is this the first case? This might be the only case. We are all going to look back and say, you know what? Thank God for Alvin Bragg and this case, <laughs> because that might be the only case we see that holds him accountable. Because we all know that Eileen Cannon has no desire to bring her case in May, right? But she's not going to also say, hey, you know what? Let's put it off, even though we know that's what she's going to do. And so if this Judge Chutkin case doesn't go forward in March, on March 4th, the way she was trying to get it to do, she won't be able to put it into March, into May, because that's where J Judge Eileen Cannon is, right? And so it would get pushed to what, June, July? And then it gets so close to the election, and then it becomes really complicated, and it can't go before the election. And so there's no way you're going to have a criminal trial right in the heat and heart of a presidential election. And so this is really, really important. And what's happening mm -hmm. right now is Jack Smith is basically saying to the Supreme Court and to the DC Circuit in parallel, which is unusual, so highly unusual, the way it always goes in 99 out of 100 times is you go to the district court, you go to the appellate court, and then you go to the Supreme Court. And that's the way it always is. There's been, I think, 45 or 50 times in our lifetime that was reported this week where the Supreme Court allowed them to leapfrog the um, 
the middle the middle portion of this right the circuit and go straight to the supreme court and since 2019 the supreme court has done it many times i think it was almost uh, a dozen or two dozen times have, have allowed that to happen in some really foundational fundamental uh cases that have that have um been faced you know that that they've been faced with so they do this unlike you know in the past where this wasn't ever done this 